guys welcome to Shino's Arsenal my name is Jessica and I'm your host and you can follow me on Twitter at itchcino second show of the day if you missed the first one I suggest after you watch this one to go back and watch that one I was on with Kaya from Football London as well as Laura Kirk and we had a little bit of a happy hour show we did a little bit of trivia while we talked about Arsenal transfer rumors so when you guys get a chance go ahead and watch that on the replay but on this show what I want to do is talk about players that are being heavily linked with Arsenal um, reliably, um, Ben White, Lakanga, and James Madison, and talk about how they can fill gaps in the squad and help us improve from a tactical perspective, from a por- formation perspective, and just you know, kind of talk about it and and see where we still may need to to do to have some improvement as well. You know, even if we bring in these players, there's still going to be gaps in the squad, so we can talk about what's missing and maybe what needs to be addressed as well as the positions that they would be filling too. So yeah, if you guys are in the chat box, let me know how you guys are feeling. Say hello, good afternoon, whatever, all those good good things. Thank you for being here and liking and sharing and subscribing my, my content. I really appreciate it. And for today's stream, I have George on. So I'm going to go ahead and bring him in. George, hey, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. So before we get into the football Let's, um, if you guys don't know, George hit 3K on Twitter today. <laughs> so we're going to say, yay, George, I'm so uh, proud of you. And yeah, you're growing, you're doing good things. And so I just wanted to congratulate you here on the stream as well. Of course, we talk in like our little groups and all that kind of stuff. But I just wanted to, you know, give you that now. And uh, also, you. you guys, <laughs> you're welcome. And if people don't know, like George doesn't just do my show. He has his own show as well called Ball Over Passion. So George, can you let everybody know just kind of what that show is about, where they can find it and, and all those types of things? Yeah, no, thank you so much. I finally released my picture. So sorry for everybody today. You see me now. Um, but yeah, you can find me at Ball Over Passion, um, you know, on Twitter, as well as on YouTube here, we have our own channel, Ball Over Passion. And really, we're just talking about football, you know, a lot of a little bit more technical analysis stuff. Um, I like to get into the nitty gritty about lineups, you know, uh, whether they matter and how we see players. So hopefully I can try to share whatever limited knowledge I have with the rest of you. And I hope to make it an education every time. So, yeah, you can find me there. And of course, here on Jess's channel and make sure you guys uh, like, comment, subscribe to both. It'd be great. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Make sure you guys like all this stuff, follow, subscribe, all the other things, all the things you do for me, do those for George because he adds so much value on this channel and on his own stuff. He's obviously just as good. So make sure you guys go there. Let's see what you guys are seeing uh, saying in the chat box. George with the good hair. I love it. Um, hair transplant, you know, um, expert. You know, yes. you don't have one yet. But if you, what do you guys call you? If you guys have the creep, if you get the creep, you're going to go get, ahead and. If you get the creep, you know, that XH, the hair growth, the expected growth, we got to watch out for that. <laughs> I love it. Hey, gal. Nice to, nice to see you in the chat. Um, Karan says he's proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I love man. it. Mike says, congrats, Olivier. So there's tons of congrats in there for you. So yeah, but let's go ahead and get into the football. So what we want to kind of talk about before we, we get into just like real specifics, I want to talk about the similarities in these players in terms of profile and, and what they bring from a technical perspective. Because for Arsenal, I think it's really important for us to get the technical quality of our players, you know, to a better level you know so for you what are the similarities in quality between a Ben White a James Madison and a Lakanga? yeah so really white what's quite clear is that um, they're really good ball progressors so all of them are very dominant on the ball and it's not just on the half turn but they're very good at carrying it over larger distances so we're, we're very clear that's the common trait that we're looking to have we're looking to disrupt systems through ball progression but mainly ball carrying and so that, that's the first step that we really look at and also they're really quite good over the first five yards that's something I've really talked about quite a lot so um, that first five yard burst is so critical in, in you know the Premier League really because we're looking at um, a new modern way of playing where it's just about counter press and how do we transition between the thirds from defense to attack as quickly as possible. And so when you look at these players really quick is great on the half turn, but they can take the ball, carry it into midfield, or even, you know, if you're James farther up into the last part of the pitch, but they all have that. Um, and then lastly, they're great in the duels. So 1v1, um, you know, both defensively um, and one-on-one, -on -one really, they're great in contact on the ball. So it's not just about receiving, but it's, it's can you carry through with your play beyond that? Because you're going to be challenged. And I think all of these players, what you can see is when they get the ball, A, they don't lose it, but they don't mind some contact and they're able to continue going. And so it really comes down to that kind of Arteta player where we've talked about before where these guys don't only just have these qualities, but now they're versatile, right? Like when you, when you look at Lakanga, when you look at Ben White, and when you look at James Madison, what's very clear is, yeah, they, they like certain areas on the pitch, but they can play multitude of positions. So you're looking at Swiss Army knife players that can solve so many problems. And what that really does is as a coach, I no longer have to use specific substitutions to employ different tactics. So when we look at really West Ham, I use that as my best example mid-game really where we started in a pivot and we went to 4-3-3 when you include players like Lakanga, James Madison you know that midfield switch doesn't become with a substitution rather you can just say okay James I want you to drop deep because you know I've seen you do it for Leicester you've played in a center midfielder role so you can either play up top in that traditional cam or at at the back and you know what Ben does the same thing he's played DM right back and center back so just to summarize, because I talked a lot, essentially is 1v1 duels is great in all those players. They're versatile. They don't really uh, suit a specific system. They can do really many players on the pitch or systems on the pitch. And then lastly, what's great is they're ball-carrying progressors. And so that first 
five yard burst is the common thing amongst all of them, really. Yeah, 100%. And I think when you look at, like you said, they, they're, they're good even in a physical situation because in the Premier League, although passing and all of that is really important, players that tend to be a little bit on the slight side, a little bit on the weaker side, tend not to do as well because you can easily get knocked off the ball. That's that's the equalizer in the in the Premier League is physical, you know. So if you have players that not only can pass but can progress the ball with their dribbling skills, it's so much easier than relying on passing when you know that people are just going to smash you. You know, if you look at somebody like Granit Xhaka, who is really one footed, he has to do a lot to kind of maneuver around when people put bodies on him because he can't he's not as technically gifted as other players. And when you see somebody like Thomas, when he receives the ball with one foot and just out the other side, and we need players that are able to switch, you know, switch feet, use both feet are a little bit more technical. And when they're getting smashed, they can still hold on to the ball. And that's what I see with, with all three players. They have that good awareness, you know, they, can kind of do it all. And we haven't really had that in our team. Saka can do it as well. Emil Smith Rowe to a certain extent. So I like these players. I like them a lot. I think they have similarities, even though they play on different areas of the pitch. Really, I think I love that you brought up Shaka because I said this in one of my tweets where I think getting rid of Shaka brings down a lot of narratives. And what it does is it sets a reminder to the Arsenal fans about what Arteta values. And, you know, he's emblematic or kind of the antithesis of everything that we've just said. He's a great player in his own right, but he's very specific to a certain system. You have to play to Granite Xhaka's strengths in order for him to shine. You know, he's he's great maybe 1v1, but doesn't have that five-yard burst. He doesn't have that half-turn ability. You know, he's not versatile. So when you start looking at these traits, I think it's really important only because it might give fans a little bit of clarity, but also some calming nature about how do I decipher these links? How do I understand this plan that, you know, I'm sure we'll get into, and we have really in past pods but it's it's just you have to maybe look at what traits is is something that we're looking for and then you can kind of evaluate what's real and what's not and then once you see that plan it becomes a lot easier to understand where we're going to go in the future 100% and a lot of you guys are agreeing in the in the chat box and I think especially on on this podcast because we tend to get a little bit deeper into the tactics and all that kind of stuff. We all know that ball progression is one of our biggest weaknesses. We just don't have great dribblers in our, in our side. And yes, you can progress the ball through passing. But like I said, if, if people are blocking passing lanes, you have to be able to get out of trouble in the middle of the pitch in a different way. And we only have a couple of players that are good at dribbling. So all three players definitely have that. And I, I love that about these players. So I just want to show up on the screen really quick, or we're going to have this up pretty much for the rest of the the pod. But this is essentially what the team would look like right now if we did bring those players in. You know, so this is kind of in a 4-2-3-1, which is what we play now. We can kind of talk about a little bit later if this can shift into a 4-3-3 of some sort. But what we kind of see is Chambers is still here. We haven't been, really been reliably linked with a right back as of yet, so I'm just going to assume that Chambers is there. White slash Saliba in that back line next to Gabrielle and Tierney. Thomas Party in a double pivot with Lakanga. Madison slash ESR in the 10 role with Pepe Saka. That can obviously be ESR as well on the wings. Martinelli on the wings as well. And Aubameyang through the center as our center forward. So, 
when you look at this, do you see, is this, is this an, this has to be an upgrade. You have to, when you look at this, get a little bit excited, right, George? I mean, just look at the midfield trio. Like, you know, in terms of the qualities, what would you say about Arsenal have we lacked this season? You know, tenacity in midfield, ball progression, and balance. And, you know, right away what you're seeing, which is massive, is you're seeing players that are complementary to each other. When you're asking me, George, can this turn into a 4-3-3? Very easily. Partey steps up 5 to 10 yards. And James Madison, who, by the way, for I don't know if people know, he played as a left center midfielder for Brendan Rodgers in a 4-1-4-1. So when you're talking about how malleable this looks and how, I guess, innovative it really looks, you've got Lukunga and Partey who in deep are these ball carrying progressors and i i doubt that actually they're really going to be playing together to be honest with you i think really lakanga is an understudy to parte because they're very similar in profile they really are these conductor eight types that you know on the ball are just incredible in terms of ball progression but you know may not have the, the greatest defensive awareness at least in lakanga's uh, view but when you look at that midfield, it, it's just exactly everything that we lack. And, you know, I, I really think midfield is the engine room to how you want to succeed as a team. And you win and lose battles there. It really translates to winning and losing games. So that's the biggest thing that I'm seeing right now that we're addressing very quick, which is really encouraging to see because, you know, I think that's going to be the biggest thing that will help us because what, what you're looking at right now are a set of players that are elite in the buildup. And for a team that right now we'll probably get into is they've got the third best defensive record in the league. And I th- I see people looking at Ben White and saying he's not a great defender, but what you have to realize is because our system is so great, we're facing less shots. And so statistically you can go back and look at it, but we don't face as many shots because our system is so great. And so when you do that, shot stopping no longer becomes a big part of your um, kind of critique of a defense. It's really building up. And so you don't really need to look at the defensive numbers when your system is so compact. And then you need to focus on progression because if you're going to commit to this style of play, we've got to recruit to players that can do that and carry that out. Otherwise they're left in no man's land and your system falls apart. So yeah, I I just love what I'm seeing right now because I'm seeing a, a plan, a common thread between all of these players, and that looks amazing. Yeah, and something that a lot of Arsenal fans have been kind of frustrated with, in especially in this last season, with the mistake against Burnley. You know, we had some dodgy moments in the back. I think in the Europa League as well with with Ceballos trying to pass out of the back and. When we switched from, I'm just I'm just gonna be real. Like for me, I, I really think it starts with the goalkeeper. In this particular instance, I have Leno here, but I fully expect us to to still get Onana, and he's much better with the ball at his foot than than Leno. But just for the sake of this, I just have Leno here because this is what we would start with. But I think everybody in that back line and the two in the pivot right in front need the, that box that we talk about as well with the center backs and the center midfielders right there. They have to be comfortable on the ball, plus the goalkeeper. And you saw how the lack of confidence creeped in when we had Emmy versus Leno as the person starting our buildup from the back. So when you look at the fact that we're looking at somebody like Onana, and then you're going to have Ben White slash Saliba, Gabrielle, maybe a Basuma and a Thomas party. We're talking about four players that are 
maybe Gabrielle a little bit less so, but relatively really decent on the ball. And that makes a big difference between like when you have Leno, Xhaka there and holding, doesn't it? Isn't it a lot more secure in that oh. way? Oh my gosh, it, it, insanely more secure. You know, th there's a reason why we say we want ball-carrying progressors and not necessarily ball-carrying passers. And that's because one of the critiques of Arsenal this season is actually, if you look at our progressions and our ball entries into the box, they're actually quite good. In fact, they're excellent. They're not just good, they're excellent. And when you're looking at that next step of taking the efficiency up, what you really need to do is you need to speed up these transitions, but you need dribblers to do that. Why? Because if you block passing lanes as a coach, a dribbler will disrupt that system. That's kind of evident in every single third of the pitch. So when you start adding those into our buildup, you end up increasing the speed of these attacking patterns, and we're going to end up getting quicker up the pitch faster. And what that does is it allows us to kind of sustain attacking patterns, really. And so when we look at that pivot, you know, we mentioned Basuma. Why? Because we need to look at the type of sitter that we want to complete that quartet that we've talked about. And it harkens back to our invincible days when we had Gilberto Silva, Patrick Vieira, Colo Torre, and Sol Campbell. You know, we've, we've got our Titans and Gabrielle and now White or Saliba, which are just excellent as a core group of center backs. But when you go into that pivot now, we just need that sitter, that facilitator to help release Thomas Partey. And then you just end up controlling transitions, right? So not only are we going to get quicker up the pitch because of increasing on holding to white, you know, making these upgrades in our buildup, but now we're going to be able to stay in that opposition pitch because now we've got a pivot that will stop anybody trying to counter us on the opposition half. And we haven't been able to do that because our technical quality in the back line is so poor that, you know, Mikel has had to ask everybody to drop in deep. This is, this is kind of the consequence of us not having great technique in the back. And so if you guys are at all worried, why do we need a Ben White? It's about increasing the technical um, competency in the back line. That's really what it is when you look at all of this stuff, the deep pivot players, Lakanga, Onana. Once you have technique, you don't have to fear and tell players to drop back. We can give freedom to the attack to, to perform. Exactly. And it's just how we kind of talk about in the midfield, how we knew we need better like for like replacements in the midfield, because when Thomas was not available, everything changed. How we played significantly dropped off. We could not play like consistently without him. And it's it's going to be it's very similar when you have David Luiz in there pinging balls, Hollywood balls into the channels in behind Saka and behind Pepe and these and, and our players up there and able to play the ball out of the back and dribble out of the back as well. And then when you go from that to holding, your entire gameplay changes. So as much as I'm like, okay, well, if if it comes between having to get a midfielder and a center back, I'm like, get a midfielder. But if you're going to tell me that we're still going to get that midfielder, but we could also get a technically really sound center back that can also play right back in defensive midfield, I'm I'm like, sign me up for that. Because when you have Saliba and White, your technical quality is not going to go down. Whereas if you just have Saliba, who's 19, 20 years old, and you have holding, I think Arteta's lenience or the way that he likes to lean on maybe more experienced players, maybe we'll see holding a little bit more than we want to. And this doesn't, there's no excuse. If you have White and Saliba, you play one or the other. And there's, you know, a point here from Barry. Thank you so much for your, for your, you know, your comment about how good is White defending one-on-one -on -one situations, thinking of games 
say, versus City, where we have more of the ball. The reality, Barry, is that there's very few games where we're going to have less of the ball than the other team. We are a possession-based team. I think most games last season we had more of the possession except for against City, you know, Chelsea, these types of teams. And that's only like, let's say, six games out of the season. So if there's 32 other games where we're going to have a bulk of a – bulk of the possession, which people tend to give it to us anyway, I think we need to make decisions about the way we play based on the majority of the types of games we'll be playing versus like, okay, let's get a more defensively sound center back with less technical quality. You know, when you look at City and the balance that they have in their center backs, they have Ruben Diaz, a more traditional center back, and they have John Stones, a ball playing center back, and that's essentially what we'd have. So, I, I really think he's – I think Arteta's building a city-type center-back pairing. We we really can't – I mean, would you be upset at that? Not really. Yeah, and I mean, look, I, let's get into White because I think ultimately yeah. – I kind of was talking to you kind of in, in the background where I see a lot of fear with Ben White. You know, George, we can't be spending $45 million. And you know what? I, I have agreed. In terms of, you know, looking at our monetary funds, I can't sit here and say, you know – my gosh, I'm worried that we're spending that. But, you know, I think a lot of the Ben White worries actually come from the fact that it's not due to the quality of the player, but maybe the off-the-pitch assumptions it may mean on our budget as a whole. So kind of what I mean by that is I think a lot of people think $45 million for Ben White equals no right-back, or $45 million for Ben White means $20 million off-priority positions. But I really don't think that's the case. And so while there might be better quality-to-cost deals, he is among the best in build-up and first-phase progression in the league. That's undoubted. So when you look at Ben White's quality, you cannot doubt that as he's probably among the best in anybody in terms of his numbers. And then when you start to actually consider, let's look at holding, chambers, you know, what is the drop-off in quality from the start of our starting position? And it's really quite stark. And so when you start raising that floor, it's about raising the floor of the team. We've really said this before, where, you, like you said, you don't want to go from a Saliba maybe or a Louise quality-wise on the ball to a Rob Holding. It really is such a massive drop-off. And just for people that think we're overpaying, I'm sorry, but Nathan Ake went for 40 million pounds last year. That's the going rate. And so I really think much of this is more anxiety about our off-the-pitch budget as a whole as opposed to the player. So when we look at it, you know, it's such a great signing in so many ways. It's just I think we have a bigger budget than people think. And I think that's really where maybe the fear or anxiety comes from because, again, our defensive system, we're not going to be facing shots. So, you know, Barry, you're talking about defending 1v1 situations. He's competent. I wouldn't say that he excels in it, but he's very competent at it. You know, when you look at Brighton, he, he did perform quite excellently in there. I don't think he's stellar at it, but he does it well. The issue is our system doesn't allow for those isolation moments anymore, right? That's what we have to think about. And so when our system is as compact as it is and we're not facing as many shots, that no longer becomes a worry in terms of what we need to prioritize. It's the buildup. It's it's making sure that our on-the-ball quality is amazing. And you know what? Ben White is the best, or among the best, rather, not the best, but among the best in the league at doing it. That's just, you know, a fact. And, you know, he's done quite well. You know, Marcelo Bielsa loved him. And, you know, I, I would argue Bielsa's got a lot of spaces in terms of his system. So, you know, when you're looking at it, it's not that he's weak 1v1. I think he's actually quite well, and he's quite, he, he does quite well at it. But in terms of on the ball, I just see it. And when you add that to the point that, you know, it's probably not going to affect our budget, 
just sign me up. I don't understand. You know, again, it's us raising the floor of this team. And I don't think anybody can kind of argue against that. You know, you have to look at it. Do you want holding in there on injury or chambers? Or would you prefer Ben White? I know for me, I would prefer Ben White. And if that's the going rate and Arsenal have switched to corner and saying, hey, look, we're going to compete again. I think that's the way to go. So, yeah, no, I, I love Ben White in terms of what he gives yeah. us. And he's in, I think he's like in the 90 something percentile for ball progression. And that's in what I mean. League. Like, so we're talking about an elite ball progressor, like, and somebody else was saying that we would be able to push up the pitch. And one of my biggest criticisms of, of us is that we tend to play in our half and we can't play on the halfway line. Like elite teams do elite teams play on the halfway line and, and push you back into your own box and cause chaos. And we can't do that on the edge of our own box. So if you have ball progressors, people that are really comfortable and you have athletes, which I'm not necessarily saying that Ben White is the biggest athlete, but when we talk about Saliba and Gabrielle and Tierney with elite ball progression skills, we're talking about being able to sit on the halfway line. And those things are, are really important, you know? So in the chat box, you guys let us know what you're thinking about what we're saying. There's about 92 of you guys watching right now. Make sure you like the video, subscribe to the channel, and keep all the, the George praise going on in the chat box. I'm loving it. They're loving what you're saying. So let's just let's just move on and just and just keep going. But let's talk about speed of play, which is yeah. I think another kind of like, you know improvement that we need to make for next season. It just seemed like, and some of this has to do with soft factors like not having fans in the stands we could kind of see that we were we mm -hmm. had a lot more intensity on the last game of the season when there was fans in the stands you could just tell but some of it comes with our the fact that we don't have maybe players that can play quickly because they have to shift it onto another foot maybe they're not quick enough maybe they're not athletic enough you know they or maybe they don't have the footballing iq to to know where the pass is before the ball comes to them so they can make a quick decision so but these players like a Madison, a Lakanga, a White, you know, do you think that the speed of play will be something that we'll see, you know, get better next season? Massively. And, you know, one of the biggest ones outside of that list is Onana. It's going to be a huge difference. I, I cite the West Ham game a lot because, you know, I think the West Ham game is a perfect picture of what can go wrong and then what can go right in terms of a change in system and, and what we might expect. So when you look at it, Leno was really quite afraid of sticking to the plan. Let's let's be real in that game. He went long and immediately we're, we're getting the ball coming back at us and we're 3 nothing down. And then w when you see the change into a 4-3-3, we had to add somebody because Leno was afraid in terms of our buildup. And so part of that goes into when you analyze Rob's performances in particular, one of my biggest criticism about Rob is that he's very slow releasing the ball. He'll wait, he'll receive, and I don't see him get the ball out quick. One thing that you can say about Ben White and Saliba is they receive the ball and they're very incisive into midfield. Like their first thought is, I need to get rid of the, my ball into the middle third immediately within the first three seconds. You know, as a coach, I have this thing where, you know, I'll tell my players, you got the three second rule and I have a bell. It's really kind of annoying, but I go first second receive, second second touch and set and third second make the pass and you know if you exceed that you know i actually tie their hands behind their back and i start adding some intricate things because what you need is to get the ball and play the pass that's on it's really important and you know when you look at this modern game of going from defense to attack that 
speed of play becomes so key in order to make sure that you get these overloads. So I think a lot of people on Twitter, like they may say, look, we do overloads on the wings, but what does that mean? It's just getting a number advantage, right? Like we're looking to get one more body there than the opposition. And so how do you end up doing that? Well, you got to pull people out of position. And the only way to do that is to get it as quick as you can from the defense to the attack. And because we're adding really the goalkeeper there, we're adding another player and we're stretching the pitch. So when we do break out of this counter press, what you've done is you've eliminated an entire line of defense. And you don't really do that if you slow the play. So if Rob, for example, you know, is holding onto the ball and not getting it into our midfield for Partey to progress, he's now having to beat two or three players as opposed to one. If you get it into exactly. him quick, you know, he's up the pitch and we've advanced five or ten yards with really taking out a lot of players. So it's twofold. It's double-edged sword. You're not only helping your midfield, but you're helping your defense, you know, and then you just let your attack shine, right? So that's why speed of play is so important. And, you know, it's really undervalued. So when you're looking at a Ben White, you're looking at a William Saliba, why do these make sense? Guys, the first thing that these guys do is they get rid of the ball. You know, they receive and they're really quick, incisive into midfield. And you know what? That's also Madison and Lakanga. Like if you guys watch these guys play, they receive on the half turn and they're very quick in terms of releasing the ball. And it's it's essential in terms of making sure that you transition to the half as quick as you can. Exactly. And another thing that I I noticed, and we talk about this, just we've kind of touched on the the tip of the iceberg on this conversation about speed of play, but also switching the point of attack. We are very um, predictable. And we don't have somebody that can just switch the ball from one side of the pitch to the other. I remember Arteta being almost like in awe of Virgil van Dijk the first time that we played them last season. And he had this 40-yard switch that he could do on a dime and how dangerous that was. And I think from that moment on, I knew that that was something that Arteta really wanted in his team. And that's why David Luiz was so important to us because when he was in this position – he was able to get that ball over to Tierney because, you know, Tierney makes these runs up here. And then we were able to create overloads even with, you know, Aubameyang, Saka could be in this way. And then Mm -hmm. we would have so many numbers over here, but able to switch the attack quickly. But when we don't have that and you have somebody like holding here, there's no out ball and we can't switch from one side to uh, one side of the pitch to the other. Somebody that's also really good at long range um, passing is Lakanga. His numbers and his like his heat map and touch maps show him in the middle of the pitch in the center circle, pinging balls into these half spaces here. That's really dangerous. And we don't actually have that because when you have somebody like Jacka here, yes, he's really good at this ball here, but he's not really that great at the ball in behind here. He's just more of like that nice switch from side to side. He's really not good at the, the diagonal balls. And that's really where Lakanga is good. You know, so besides just the progressive dribbling, he also has really nice passing into areas that are really dangerous that defenders don't want to have to run into, you know, against your Aubameyangs and your Sakas and your Pepes. So that's also something that we can look at is we'll have players that can switch the point of attack quickly and get us out of trouble when we're doing these little short passes here. Instead of doing a, a, a scary pass back here and letting it get picked off, we can easily just ping it from one side to the other, relieve pressure and, and get on the attack um, against the, the opposition. 
And you don't want to give your opposition time to set up against you, right? Like, why are these switches so important? So when you only have Louise that's really able to do that, you see less of those Fulham FA Cup final goals where really, again, there's really famous video of what Arsenal did in terms of looking how similar these pattern of plays are. And really, it's really quite simple, guys. We, we overload on one side. We need a quick switch of play, and you end up flooding that area of the pitch. So you let Tierney go or whoever's on that side, and then... You know, it's a really quick cut back into the box and a nice shot. And, you know, the, the point of that is you don't give the opposition time to settle into their shape. As long as you do that, you're able to get a, a number on them. And that's how you create those overloads. So when you have players that can do that, you know, it, it, it's key. All of it, all it is, is speeding up the play, right? And it is increasing the technical level of our team. And when you do that, you open so many avenues to the attack. And that's actually why I say, you know, adding a DM or adding, you know, a center back would actually help our creativity. And, you know, many people are like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, guys, if we can increase our progression, our speed of play into the opposition half, you're going to end up having a lot more 1v1 opportunities in order to attack and get them into isolation. And that's the name of the game right now. You know, I think um, coaches are so technical and precise with the their positioning right now that, these fine margins are actually increasing in the league. It's no longer just the top six that are employing it. You're seeing it with Leeds. You're seeing it with Wolves. You know, you're seeing it with these lower level teams that are trying to do the same thing. And that's because football's a move to a different area. And you know what? The name of the game is progression, speed of play, and ball carrying ability. It's really those are the kryptonite to so many different, you know, systems. Exactly, 100%. And I know you guys, is, I see in the comment section, you guys are loving this level-headed analysis and all that kind of stuff. We love this. Like, I think we could nerd out on this for a while. <laughs> you know, we're, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. But I also want to kind of talk about, like, you know, I see a lot of Basuma, you know, talks. And I think we just have to get our Basuma agendas out there. We have to get our propaganda out there. George, I think, although we know that Lukanga will probably – you know, we're looking at him as a, a player that would play in a pivot because he will. We assume that this player is going to be somebody else, yeah. you know, so we're thinking it's going to be Basuma. So let's just put him there. <laughs> so <laughs> let's just put him there. Let's just talk about the importance of having a player like Basuma in this position, a, you know, experience in the Premier League, shut down DM that also has the ability to be press resistant and push us up the pitch. Let's just talk about it just a little bit. And the difference mm -hmm. between having somebody like him and a Neves, because there's also talk of Neves in the chat and yeah. the difference between the two. So really it actually comes down to Thomas Partey and how you see Thomas Partey and what's, what's the best way to get an example of you know Thomas Partey as, at his best really. And so, so what I look back on is where did Thomas perform you know, his role the best? And look, he's a great player, so he can play as a six, he can play as an eight. But when I look back, you know, Man United, that's one of the best performances that I've seen in, in a shirt for him. And, and when I look at who partnered him, it was ironically El Elneny. And so when you look at these sitters, let, let, let's break it down. You've got two types, right? You've got your kind of uh, 1v1 dual expert that is your traditional P&P, &P, you know, pace and power kind of guy that loves his 1v1 duels. Or you have somebody who's more along the deep lying playmaker role or like a Neves, right? So when you have Basuma and Neves, they really are opposite ends of the spectrum. And actually Locatelli could be in that Neves category, right? But the idea is he's a deep lying playmaker. And Look, passing range is great for stretching opposition shapes, but really, I think Partey 
facilitated his best performances when you give him freedom. Because again, I've said many times, he's a Tiago. You look at his stats, he tops the charts in ball progression, carries and passes. And so what he needs is this kind of anchor, I call it, this facilitator really. And that's why El Nenny gave him such great performances. It wasn't because El Nenny of a quality necessarily, you know, is better than a Granite Shaka. It's because as a sitter, a facilitator gave Thomas the tools to perform up the pitch. He didn't have to worry about too many jobs, about progressing, about making sure that he's involved as a conductor, but also making sure to stop transitions. So when you compare the two, I fundamentally think that you need to have a 1v1 dual expert in order to release the other side much more. And you're limited kind of as a team in a ceiling if you don't have those 1v1 dual experts that, you know, out wide when they're in isolation... They can track back. They can receive the ball back again. I mean, Basuma makes way too much sense, okay? You know, when you look at it, not only did he play this role kind of in, in Brighton, if you actually go down into the stats, most of his progressive passes come from the left. Like, in terms of trying to depict the perfect player to release Thomas Partey, I really couldn't see one beyond Basuma, except for Sumare, who I have my own little bias towards. I love him, but, you know, yeah. that ship has sailed. But the next bet, again... I think it comes down to our debate here. Do you want a deep-lying playmaker? Or do you want somebody that's a 1v1 dual expert that can kind of compete in transition? And again, it goes back to what do I want and what does Arteta want? And I think we've seen enough quotes. I keep highlighting them on the show. But you know what? Arteta has told us he really does uh, look at aggression and 1v1 dual experts in the Premier League because he recognizes no matter how much um, intricate play you might have or increased range of pass, Ultimately, what the Premier League needs is these um, 1v1 dual experts, really. And it's not to say that you don't have success on the other ways. You know, you can't have success with a deep-lying playmaker. I just think it limits the ceiling of the team. And again, the last thing I'll say on it is, why would you get rid of Granite Shaka, who is arguably among the best in, in that category, in order to, you know, get maybe a Neves or Locatelli, who I'm sorry, but in terms of their pure numbers and in terms of their role, isn't that much better. It doesn't make sense to me. I would have rather just kept Granite Shaka if our goal is to add a sitter that's a deep-lying playmaker. And I don't think the other two are necessarily that much of an advantage in the ball progression stats for what they're arguing against. You know, yeah, they're a touch more athletic in that in that aspect. But, you know, again, Thomas Partey didn't have his best performances with Shaka. It was with Elneny. And there was a reason for that. So, Let's go back to the Invincibles like we've talked about, that square 1v1 dual experts that are just monsters that you don't want to run past. And if you do that and you control the back, you know we will be able to sustain way more patterns than, say, you did have a deep-lying playmaker. Because, again, as an opposition coach, guys, we got to start thinking about how do I defeat this team? It's not just so much what I can do with the ball, but what do the team look at as our point of weakness? And we've seen it too much. When you have something like Granite Shaka people focus on that. And it, 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 I think it's because we don't understand the type of player that we're dealing with. And I really get frustrated because, you know, it's unfair on the player. I don't want to hammer a player for his athletic limits. It's impossible. Like I would rather just recruit to a style. If you're going to ask him to defend the halfway line, let's not put a Ruben Neves there. Let's put a Basuma who can track back because I can assure you if you're asking Ruben Neves to kind of defend on the halfway line, it's going to be difficult. You know, Ruben Neves, again, with Wolves, right? He was in a 3-5-2 system. Like, remember, guys, he was surrounded by bodies. And that's not really the play that we're going to be initiating, right? So when you have this box, 
Ruben Neves doesn't play that way. So when you're telling me he can defend in that spot, well, he doesn't play like that for Wolves. You have to be very careful about when you're projecting who do you want in that role. 100%. And, you know, there's there's comments in the chat about, well, Neves can, can, can protect, and he can. But like you said, in a 3-5-2 or, you know, a 3-4-3 or whatever, you have a lot more people in and around you. And really, he... He plays very similarly to the way that Ceballos and Jacka played for us in the 3-4-3, sitting right, really tight in front of the back three to protect us from danger. And if you want to play a little bit more risky, high-wire type football, where we're standing at the halfway line and pushing resources forward, allowing Tierney and our right back maybe, and all of our offense to just do what they want to do, then you got to have people that can cover big patches of grass. You have to have people that can cover from sideline to sideline. And for me, Neves is not that person. If you allow Tierney to go forward all the way up and you don't necessarily have anybody else tracking back, your CDM needs to be able to, to protect. And Neves is just not that guy. I've watched many, many games of Wolves and compilations of Neves. And what I get from him is great passer, but if we're looking for somebody to cover large areas of grass, he's not the guy. And I think to evolve, we need a Basuma, you know, so I agree with you. And I think people are making the mistake where you're removing Shaka and you're assuming his replacement has to replicate that. But no, I think what we're saying to everybody in the chat is Thomas Partey is taking over that responsibility. He is our conductor. He is now going to be in charge of the progression and the buildup, okay? And, and I think people confuse that with numbers and the traditional sixes and whatnot. But Thomas Partey, again, I repeat, is our Tiago. He is the one that's going to be setting the pace. And, you know, I think that's a big reason why he's actually struggled with, with you know, something like Granite Shaka. There's two alphas on the ball here, and, you know, they both want to do the same thing. And so while they're both good players, and I'm sure that, you know, they're going to do great in certain situations, there's a limit to what we can achieve with something like that. So I, I think that replacement, you know, think of Granite Shaka leaving and Thomas Partey taking over that responsibility. And then it's not replacing that conducting progression. It's replacing that transition loss because Thomas is no longer going to do that. So the roles have switched, right? And so that new replacement has to facilitate Thomas, not kind of hinder him it all goes back to understanding your players and make remembering that the role that they play within their team is not indicative of their ability it's about what they're being asked to do in the system in which they play and it's very similar with Basuma as it is with Thomas Party where we're making assumptions about their ability based on what they're being asked to do but Thomas has a lot more about him it going both ways backwards and forwards, as as well as Basuma. They're both two-way players that can add a lot to our offense, as well as be defensively sound. So I think let's not just see like, okay, Thomas is definitely a six. A lot of people for the entire season were saying he's a CDM. He's not. His passing range, his ability on the ball would show you that he's not Sissoko. He's just not that. He's just not that guy. You know, he's so much better than that. So I would say you pay the money to pay the release clause for Thomas Party. You let him become your Vieira. You allow Basuma to be your Gilberto Silva, and you move on with your life. You know, so there's, you reap the benefits oh, and you become invincible, so to speak. I mean, that's the story, <laughs> exactly. isn't it? So, you guys, there's 124 of you guys watching. Make sure you like the video and subscribe to the channel. And we're going to move on to chance creation, which I would say is probably the most like when we're watching games. 
seeing the the limited amount of shots that we get, the limited amount of clear-cut chances that we're able to create are is something that we do need to address in this next season in order to get our guys like a bombing going and stuff like that. So will somebody like a Madison and even like a Basuma pushing up with party, will that allow us to create more chances and sustain pressure for longer periods of time? Absolutely. So we kind of talked about this formula, sustaining attacking patterns, but let's just go over it again. You know, uh, controlling transition is one part. And, you know, that's when we look at our pivot and our defense about what we're addressing. That, that's the one portion of it. And then the last portion is, you know, final third technical security. So are we able to keep the ball? We've got it up there now, but can we keep it? And that's the big portion of trying to sustain these patterns. Now, when you look at, you know, James Madison, I've seen a lot of revisionism on the timeline in terms of who is James Madison as a player. And, you know, I think a lot of people get, you know, mared by these misconceptions about his first season at Leicester. So I think one of the main criticisms I've seen is that, you know, he's like a Bruno and, you know, he's an output machine. But, you know, I'm worried that in terms of chance creation, it's mainly from set pieces. Well, let's dispel some myths because, you know, that in terms of the split of what you would be looking at in his first season with Leicester, you know, that, that split of having mainly 80 or 60, 40 in terms of his open play assists versus, you know, set pieces assists that transition towards 80, 20 in his last two, two to three seasons. Let's break it down even further over this last season. He achieved 105 shot creating actions. And of those only 20 were set pieces. And when you break it down, that works out to 23 per 90 minutes, which is just absolutely immense. And so when you're looking at it, he has evolved much more into a final ball specialist. And he always had that, you know, again, I look at the Brendan system and what people seem to forget is he has achieved all of these output metrics as a CM. It's not as a camp. It's not what he performed in terms of, you know, uh, the Norwich system where he was the traditional 10 in cam. And, you know, before his injury, he was achieving 13 goals and assists in, um, you know, 15 starts. That's not too bad, you know? So when you start looking at how a James Madison might work with our existing players, you start to get really excited, right? For as much as I love Emile Smith-Rowe, fundamentally, he hasn't shown a consistent output or final ball. Right. And I think he'll get there. It's not that I don't think he will, but fundamentally, that's what we have right now. And we have a player that can set the tempo in the Grealish mold. And so I think he'll play in the left half space like excellently. But then you need a Madison who's a sharp shooter, kind of, you know, poppy uh, release player who can, you know, shoot with both feet, who also has, by the way, a set piece um, you know, specialty that we haven't had since the days of Santi. Like when you look at the gaps in terms of what, you know, Emile Smith Rowe might lack. And then what Madison brings, and then you look at the faults between the two, they complement each other perfectly, right? Like you're looking at somebody who you won't maybe traditionally look at the intricate play in, you know, maybe a James Madison, but Emile Smith-Rowe will provide that. So when you combine the two together, it's a perfect synergy. And um, James Madison's a very good presser too. You know, I think that's very key. So when we looked at, you know, your Odegaard and your Buendia, why does George like, you know, Madison? I thought you don't like a 10. Well, the thing is, he's great over long distances. He's a great presser of the ball. So when you look at somebody who can do those and also do it to the degree that he was an eight, because remember, guys, he was an eight this season in terms of the role. He has the ability and the stamina to compete over long distances. That's the difference. So you never lose your central compactness. You never see a case where Odegaard, for as great as he is on the ball, he doesn't really burst into that space. 
right? James Madison will. And so I, I think you start seeing our chance creation turn from these final entry problems into actual output, right? Because we're actually very good at getting the ball into the box. We're just really bad at finishing at this point. And I think it's because we do it too slow. So when you start to add these things, right, and you increase the progression, you increase the speed of play, that chance creation that we're seeing kind of stuttering right now actually gets all of the wheels greased and you're able to see that output because we've now got profiles in there that will take advantage of it, right? And that's what you've got to look at. We've got to look at complementary pairs. So it's not so much let's isolate the one name. Let's look how does he work as a part of a whole. So how does he work with ESR and Bukayo Saka? How does he work with a Nicholas Pepe and a Martinelli? You know, that's when you start to see that this makes a ton of sense. And so I'm super excited about James Madison. I think, you know, when you look at chance creation, output, set piece, versatility, he's got it all, you know, and it's not just stats, you know, that see that when you look at, you know, I look at some of the interviews that he's had, the mentality of this kid is insane. You know, I think that's a really underrated part of scouting. You know, when you do look at players, well, there might be some off the pitch concerns, but you know, if you look at his interview about how gutted he is not to make the England squad, I think we're targeting players right now that aren't at just, you know, good profiles, but also at that level just below their explosion. And they're hungry. They want to prove themselves. And you look at it, he's 24. I don't see him inhibiting Emil Smith-Rowe. I've seen a lot of fears at that. At the end of the day, Emil is young. He's 19, 20. And by the way, by the time, you know, Madison's 28, 29, Emil's 24. That sounds like a great progression plan to me. So... I love this, you know, I, I think that when you look at these things, the traditional 10, again, it's not like we need a body there. If you really look at Emil and how he played it, he goes to side to side, right? Like he, he goes wherever the ball is and he participates in the overload. So that's what we're looking at. And when you do get to the top of the box, guys, we don't have anybody that shoots outside the box. James Madison does that like with the power. Oh my God, with venom, you know? So look, it solves a lot of gaps of what we have. And, and, I, and I think, look, I loved Awar, but I use this example where let, let, let's compare the two, right? Emil Smith, Rowe, and Awar plus James Madison and ESR. What I would argue is the latter is far more potent over short and long distances, but also output as much as I love, you know, an Awar. And you know what? He, they both cover the same spaces, right? Like it's not a space argument. They both cover it. But who is going to give you more goals and who is going to be better in transition? It's got to be James Madison, you know, as much as I love Awar. So, yeah, I, I'm just ecstatic about this. Yeah. And I know that, you know, a lot of people are like, well, can we get him? And for for the purposes of, of these podcasts, we're just assuming we can get all of these players. And we're trying to use the most reliable links possible because we want to make it as realistic as possible but it's not really about like what's the likelihood of us getting him because we don't actually know what's going on behind the scenes. But even if it's not Madison and it's Odegaard, I think you do have to bring in a creative midfielder. But what I will say is that one thing that I like about Madison is that he's almost two footed in a way. He's not too right footed, but he's not left footed. And I think in a team that is just so left footed, the last thing we need is another left-footed player drifting into that right half space, blocking Saka and blocking Pepe in the space that they should be operating in. We need somebody that can offer some centrality going left and right that has, you know, just a little bit more centrality about them. I think that's why I like ESR because he can go to the right or to the left. When you watch Odegaard, he tend to, there was many, there's many times where him and Pepe 
would be trying to get the ball on their left foot. And that slows down your patterns of play. It really, really does when your players need to get it on that other foot. So somebody with a little bit more roundness to the way that they play, I think, really helps. And where Madison is very strong and where Odegaard to me is a little bit weak is Madison is a goal scorer. Odegaard is a passer, a sister. So what we have is it's kind of the difference between having a more Jack Grealish-esque type of 10 creative player versus an Ozil. We like Ozil's, but Ozil needs many goal scorers around him. If you just have Ozil, he tends to want to pass. And Odegaard to me has that same thing about him. We need goal scorers. We and need goal a, scorers and we need them bad. Yeah. And you know, it for me, I talk about this quite a bit. Like, I, look, I love Grealish. And when you start looking at these kind of players, what I really like is you don't want to have two players in the same zones that perform the same roles. So what do I mean by that? You know, look, quality might be a little bit different, but, you know, in terms of getting an ESR and, and a WAR, the only criticism, you know, if I was an opposition coach looking at something like that is you've got two guys that, you know, in profile are very similar. And so the output of that kind of, you know, damaging part of the front line is very minimal, right? So when you start to look at, you know, what a Madison might provide and what, you know, an Emile Smith-Rowe might provide, them working in tandem is a lot better than kind of replicating the same role. And we actually saw that with Thomas Partey, right? So in, in terms of facilitating these two players, you don't want to get players that do the same stuff. So for me, I, I just, I couldn't be more happier with kind of the James Madison links. I think it's a difficult deal. But one thing yeah. that I will say is a lot of the links, you know, it, it's not just, you know, I think rumor mill anymore. I think I'm starting to see a lot more convergence in terms of it. And look, yeah. you know, guys, if we're spending 45 million on Ben White, which seems to be proceeding, I really don't think, you know, the worries about a war for 30 versus James Madison for 60 are there. I think we're in a different pool, guys. I think we're in a pool that we didn't maybe expect. Well, some of us did um, that we would spend <laughs> big, but I think like we're in a different pool. So like, we don't have to worry about that. So the question becomes who is better? Who's the better fit? Exactly. Yeah. And one thing like I want to touch on before we move on to 4-3-3, type of thing is the importance of a Madison for somebody like an Aubameyang. This is our guy. This yeah. is our, our, our star striker. He's still world-class. And that's the one thing is as much as I'm a critic, I'm a critic of Aubameyang and his, maybe his mentality is I would never question the fact that he's a world-class striker because he just is. And one bad season where he still scored more goals than a lot of other strikers <laughs> in the league, I would say having a James Madison is really important to get that guy scoring. And it also shows him that he should be excited for his next year at Arsenal, that there's going to be somebody on the pitch. Because when we started the season – Aubameyang couldn't see somebody that could get him the ball. For a striker, that's not, especially one that doesn't create his own chances, That's that that must be gut-wrenching. So yeah. you see a Madison coming in, you see the money being spent, and now you have a Saka, a Pepe, and a Madison sitting in behind you or a Mill Smith row. Now we're talking. So how important is this type of signing for Aubameyang? It's huge, right? Like, okay, look, when, when you have an Aubameyang, right, he, he is an off-the-shoulder movement striker. Okay, you cannot ask Aubameyang to participate in build-up. That's like, that, that's like asking Granite Shaka to cover big distances, and then you hammer him for it. It, it really doesn't make sense to me. And, and Aubameyang, I've said it before, the runs he's making are there. It's not like he's not making those runs. And so when you look at, you know, ha, 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 is this like a fall-off or a cliff? 
well, I don't see it. He's actually getting some great, you know, chances. We're just not finding him. And, you know, I, I can attest to it. You know, as a striker, why make the run if you're not going to get f- found? And so it, I'm sure it's frustrating for him. But again, it's about facilitating that profile of striker the best we can. And you do that with a lot of technical security across the front line, right? So there's two strikers. You've got your strikers that like to come deep, like your Harry Canes. And how do you facilitate them? You need wing forwards to kind of attack the space, right? That, that's how you get balance in your front line. Um, it's actually one of the criticisms I have with Arteta, really, is that he doesn't balance the front line all the time with, you know, two runners and two creative players, which is something I really need, you know, when I'm looking at things. And w- when you do have an Aubameyang, right, what he needs is he needs an additional runner, but he needs the creatives to kind of let him move freely. And you do that by, you know, getting a James Madison, you know, getting somebody on the ball that can dictate play. And maybe you shunt out ESR to the left wing again, and you've got Saka. Now you've got three players right now that love ball defeat, right? That's the big thing. And when you get that, Aubameyang doesn't have to participate. He can just focus on his movement. And so that's when you end up getting the best Aubameyang, right? And, you know, another thing with James Madison is he always goes forward. This is the one thing I love about James Madison. It doesn't matter where he is. If you watch him, his first thought is, I'm going to go forward. And, And I just love that, you know, when... I think that's the issue right now with maybe something like an Aubameyang who he, he doesn't like the ball and having to beat players. That's not his game. So, so let's not ask him to do that, you know, give that responsibility to James Madison and trust me, you know, Aubameyang is very similar to who cough, cough, Jamie Vardy. I'm sorry, everybody, but you know, when you start looking at will Aubameyang come good and then, you know, is James Madison a great fit for us? Guys, we're recruiting players, okay, that have performed this job at their past teams. That's another way of adaptation that I don't think I've seen many people on Twitter look at, right? Like, you know, when you do look at a James Madison, you know, he has done this role exactly what we've asked, right? You know, he's done it with Jamie Vardy. So he's very used to an off-the-ball striker. So uh, I think you're going to see a much more aggressive, I agree, a much a much better bombing, or not even better because you know what? Again, guys, it's one season. I've said this in past, you know, you know, episodes. Like it's literally the first season he hasn't got 15 league goals in a season. The other five, he's got more than 15 league goals in a campaign. So, yeah, I think it's a matter of us upping our investment, right? And I think James Madison, while he's expensive, um, you know, he increases the value of those that we have. So it's it's a it's a double edged sword. You guys are so funny in this chat. This cough, cough guy. You guys are so silly. Okay, so 100% George on point as usual. So let's talk about 4-3-3 versus 4-2-3-1. Does it actually matter? Do these players that we're potentially bringing in give us the opportunity to maybe switch to a different formation? A lot of people are desperate to see us in a 4-3-3. For me, I couldn't really care less because I think that mid-game we like to switch you know and so I'll let you explain it but because we talk about this all the time but go ahead you 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 let them know yeah so I I had actually an entire pod dedicated to this exact topic where I think people are way too FIFA in their in their mentality (laughs) here right now because guys I'm sorry but as a coach if I tell somebody to go 4-3-3, I'm just asking them to step 10 yards up the pitch and I'm going 1-2 instead of 2-1 in the midfield. It's really not something that's as you know stringent as what people make out. Now, another thing, these systems are far more alike than they are different. So the one thing I want to kind of dispel 
exactly. You know, uh, Hoban, you know, you're right. You know, we aren't in this 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. What we actually are in is something like a 2-3-5 typically. And, you know, that's kind of the end goal. Um, we'll always build in a three. So fundamentally what we're going to be doing is we go into a 3-2-5 typically when we build up. And so what you're going to see is, yeah, you're going to have all fullbacks that are going to end up pushing up high and wide. And, you know, you can have maybe a Basuma that's going to drop into the three and you're going to have your two center backs in the back line. That's going to be your three initially. And as soon as we transition into their half, it becomes a two, three where, you know, your two, um, you know, center backs are behind. And of course, yeah, we have something like this, what Jess has popped up here. And, and hopefully what you do see is if you do have maybe a right back that can participate, you know, you can chuck the right back in the far, far channel and you, you've got that kind of... Um, that square that we looked at really with kind of our invincibles, it becomes very similar in terms of that. So we no longer play with this four, two, three, one or four, three, three as traditionally known. They, they all carry these principles of play. And so what those principles are is we have a three, two, five and build up. That's the same in both systems. That's whether it's Pep or Arteta system, it's the same. And then you transition into a two, three, five, which is just really that one um, pivot player who kind of helped in the buildup, just stepped it up. That's all it is. That's all the change is, right? And when you then go beyond that, it's just I'm attacking and defending in five channels. That, that's the, really the commonality between the two. And so when you talk about a four, three, three or a four, two, three, one, it's really the same thing. And again, James Madison did this, right, guys? Like he, he participated in a you know um, a system where he was a left center midfielder. That's an eight in Brendan's system, so he's very comfortable going from you know participating in midfield to popping back up on the ten. So yeah, it just look. It's I I think we see the versatility there, but I don't think that we should you know hammer home this traditional four three three because you know, the, the changes aren't massive, like, you know, Noel and what we've said in the past, right? Like the, the changes as a coach aren't really that different. And, you know, we do change a lot of formations mid-game. Like I said, I love to quote that West Ham performance. Guys, we've changed formations like four times in that game. So yeah. let, let's stop like thinking, oh, this player's a 4-3-3. He can't play in our system forever. You know, it's about that versatility, right? So that's the big thing. And that's where this player becomes really important in this system for me is mm -hmm. this player is really, really important because they become another midfielder. And we see that even in Pep's system like this. Be this is like Zenchenko on the other side. Essentially, <laughs> this person becomes another midfielder. Yeah. And depending on how technically good they are, they can actually add a lot in these channels here, getting the balls through to your Pepe's and your Sakas and these types of guys, you know, so and this person allows tyranny to never have to come back, <laughs> which yeah. is what we want. We want tyranny in this area as well, you know, so that's why I'm looking at this this deal for White as something that could be really interesting in terms of flexibility, because there is yeah. still an opportunity because he he plays as like a CDM slash right back as well, that we could play Saliba as the right-sided center back and yeah. put White in the Chambers position, which has been really successful for us at the latter end of our season. But White is better than Chambers. I love Chambers, but White is better than him. Mm -hmm. So if you have somebody in this position that has good passing range that can get it over to Tierney, but also thread these balls through to Saka, Pepe, and progress the ball, how dangerous is that, George? 
it's massively dangerous. And again, I, I think this this idea of an inverted, you know, right back, it, it's also going to potentially change, right? Like we could also, what you might see is, you know, you can have your Madison in your traditional 10 shape. Um, and then you can have, you know, Saka, who I, I think ESR will do it, but you, you can put him at the left wing, right? And you add another fullback in that five channels and you end up just having that box that we talked about, right? Like that's, that's the big change in terms of what you can do. So white can be kind of in that far, channel and and he has that flexibility you hit the nail on the head he's a better chambers okay that that's really what he is and look if you want to you know make me and jess super happy you replace that with baku and you know there's 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 the perfect you know dream for us because you know you look you look at these players that are really comfortable in midfield but then you know have the ability and actually the legs to get on that outside right And, and and this is what the change is right so you're really going again from that three and then you can just change it to a box in traditional invincible shape you know, uh, I, I kind of said it last time, I'd encourage everyone to, you know, maybe go and have a look at that masterclass video again, because it really lets us it was know. Really nice. like it was really nice. It's amazing, right? And look, that's how I view my favorite team. It really is. And I'm sure, I think Jess carries similar feelings towards it. And, you know, if you're asking how does it fit, guys, you know, um, I know football likes to think that they've really advanced, but honestly, guys, that's that's the system. It's the invincible system. It, it isn't necessarily totally new. We've actually seen this with a lot of the minds beforehand. So yeah, I, I just love that. I hope people just get away that the four, two, three, one, let's get away from formations. I have this very famous saying on Twitter zones over formations. And that's because I want people to understand that, you know, players are comfortable in specific areas, but you know, we, they don't have to be in the same formation every day you know that that's not how these players function right so yeah let's just expand our thinking really about how we're going to employ these players because you know ben white you know like you have him there he could be a right back he could be a you know cdm he could be a right center back he is a better chambers in utility right and if you start to add things like you know a a holding sale we already know mavropanos is out so um guys i think i think we're moving towards a much more modern team and that's really important for us so if we can you know wrap up this little segment on it i think look at the similarities between the two formations as opposed to differences and that's we're going to build in a three and then it'll transition to a two three five and we're going to attack and defend in five channels those are the key things no matter your four three three four two three one who cares that's the same in both systems just remember that those two systems just have somebody go one two or a two one that's the change, really. You know, it's it's not that deep. Exactly. Guys, there's about 141 of you guys watching right now, which is awesome. Like the video, subscribe to the channel. And for you guys that are asking about George's channel and George's podcast and George's Twitter, Ball Over Passion, look that up. Go ahead and follow him and get more of this this good tactical goodness. I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm loving it. So before we get out of here, I just want to talk about, you know, what's missing, you know, even if we have a team like this, there's still some tweaks that probably could yeah. be made. We kind of spoke about maybe adding somebody like a Riddle Baku. You know, I'm not quite sure that, although I think White can play as a right back, that that should be our, what we do. You know, I think we need more of a tyranny on the on the right-hand side, somebody a little bit more that's actually a right back. So besides that, what do you think is missing as well? Like, could we improve the left-hand side? Do we maybe need another striker in the, you know, in the future? What are you thinking if we're nitpicking? Uh, Yeah. You know, uh, I'm thinking uh, squad depth, 
So let's let's assume that we get a we get a right back because <laughs> that's the one glaring you know thing I really want, like you said, an, an outlet right back. And let's assume we address that. For me, it's it's squad depth, and I, and I think again, I'm I'm a midfield man, so we need a backup left back. That's for sure, and and I think that's very easy to do in this window. Um, but I, I would like a little bit more squad depth, both in the front line, but also kind of. In midfield, so for me, I'd love another six-eight, so that we can upgrade on Mohamed El Neni, who, like, I think has been a great servant for the club, and and honestly gets bashed for really, uh, I don't know why, but you know, he, he does the job that he's needed. But we definitely need an upgrade there as a could backup. that be Aziz in the future? Like Aziz and Lakanga can kind of fill that void a little bit. So it's tough because look, Aziz is a very similar profile to Lakanga actually. And this is this was one of my like pullbacks on the Lakanga deal because I'm like, you know what, we've got Miguel Aziz there. Um, but again, this is about competition, right? I actually see them both best as a conductor eight. So yeah, I, I do see, you know, kind of Aziz at that progression line on the Thomas Partey side. I would like a lot more of a sitter. So if we do get a Basuma type, I'd love a much more um, traditional sitter. I love Ibrahima Diallo from Southampton. Um, you know, he's also very young and, and excellent. I've loved him since. We need Brett. to talk. We <laughs> need to talk like about this separately. I was like one of the. I wish I knew you at the beginning of the season when they got him from Brest. I, I was like what the heck is happening? And I was like, that's such a Southampton move. And nobody thought he was great last season because he wasn't, it was his first season in the Prem. Watch this space. We yep. will be looking at Diallo in a couple of years and being like, why didn't we get him? But anyways, keep going. No, we missed <laughs> we a trick missed with it. him. You know, we did. And, you know, he he's one of my like favorite youngsters right now. So yeah, everybody, make sure that you keep track on him because that's somebody that I would maybe address next summer. So if we're looking at like next steps, you know, squad depth, I'd love an Ibrahima Diallo. Again, another 6'8", but mainly as a sitter, right? I think we need like one more attacking midfielder as well. Um, on that one, you know, it's tough because if I look to the academy, I don't think we actually have somebody that's ready to step in right now. You know, Catalan Surgeon is somebody I love, but, you know, he's, he's really quite underdeveloped physically. So if I'm actually looking, you know who I think is a great pickup is Mathis Pereira, who right now I'm sure is really cheap. And, you know, that is somebody that could be great as a backup. I don't know if he's going to be really at West Brom too long. Um, but he'll be that, at Leeds, I think. I think he'll be at Leeds. And, you yeah, because they're not going to get DePaul now, so exactly. they'll probably end up with him. Mm -hmm. So he's a great deal. Other players that I really like is Mikel Elise, who's at Reading. It's another, that's that's my type of 10. I really like these leggy 10s that can participate in different areas of the pitch. So I would say 6-8 is our squad depth. I would say, you know, um, another attacking midfielder is something that we might need. And actually, I don't think we need a winger or strikers, guys. I think we're really set in that department because I'm looking at Keto Taylor Hart to have a huge season with us. Like it's it's one of my, it's my, not one of, he is my favorite academy player in our setup and start he, propaganda i'm starting so if you guys haven't please look at my thread i love keto taylor hart he is due a bukayo-esque explosion for me like i i love this kid this kid is insane he is six foot he has reese nelson's feet but with ismaila sars kind of running power he's a very very good prospect and so yeah i don't think we need a ne necessarily another winger or striker because also you've solve got our issues on the left as well because i think both of us kind of feel like there's a little bit of a gap there that could yeah. be filled. Maybe somebody like him. I think he'd be great. So like just to round up about what we need, it's basically squad depth because I think this summer and what I'm looking at right here is amazing starting 11. 
this can compete with the best in the league starting 11 wise. You know, I'm not worried. I don't particularly think that, of course, let's replace white with Baku, but you know, like an outlet right back. But after that, if we're looking for the following season to like plan ahead, yeah, just, just some squad depth in the midfield. And, you know, I think we're going to get the backup left back, which is great. So yeah, I think, you know, Taylor Hart is staying guys, you know, I I really do. Um, And uh, I think that's going to be a player if we're looking for um, superstars. You know, Aziz and Keto, Keto Taylor Hart, I think, are going to be the Academy next uh, next ones to watch. Yeah, I love it. This was this was a really, really good show, you guys. Like, you guys were so active in the chat box. I really appreciate it. There is, at the height of the show, 140-something of you guys watching, mostly for George, but I was no. here for the, for the George-isms as well. I was here for it. So, you guys, don't forget, ball over passion. Make sure that you follow their Twitter and their YouTube channel and all those great things. And George at George V underscore AFC. You can also see his face now on his profile picture. He has switched it from a picture of Saliba. (laughs) He has joined us with a real picture. So we love that. So go ahead and, and follow him there on his personal page. And tomorrow I'm going to be doing a match preview for Germany versus Portugal. And also I will be doing the watch along. I didn't get a chance to do it the other day because I wasn't feeling well, but tomorrow I will be doing that for you guys. You asked for it. So please be here. (laughs) Please be here. And um, yeah, you know, awesome. So I will see you guys on the next one. Make sure you like the video, subscribe to the channel, all those great and wonderful things. And I'll see you guys tomorrow. Bye everyone. Bye guys. Thank you.